Welcome to the On Becoming Educated podcast, where I, Paula Voon, will share my experience as a first-generation PhD student. It's less than a month until I start the first year of my PhD program at UC Berkeley. I signed a lease on a place to live. I finalized my class schedule last week. I'm starting to receive emails from professors. I've been in communication with a few other students who are also starting the same program. I have at least one syllabus I was both scared and eager to read through. And while all this is happening, I'm starting to make up stories. I'm a storyteller at heart, a creative, an imagination machine, if you will. And I'm starting to compare myself to the other students. My degree in English in linguistics to theirs in multicultural and gender studies. My public school education to their private school education. My limited knowledge in the study of race to others' big academic vocabulary about the study of race. And just so you know why this is important, the name of my program is Critical Studies of Race, Class, and Gender. Just to provide some context. But let me rewind a bit. Last Friday evening, when I should have been starting a new series on Netflix, hanging out with my family, going for a drive, basically doing anything but what I was doing, I was reading my emails. Don't judge. We're in the middle of a pandemic after all. And who am I kidding, really? Even if we weren't in a pandemic, I'd probably be reading my emails on a Friday night anyway. Anyway, back to the story. It was Friday evening. I opened my email and there was an email from one of the professors whose class I'll be taking in the fall. It was a kind of welcome email to our cohort and a reminder to sign up for a required class that all first-year PhD students in our program have to take. I read through the email first, and then the very next thing that I did was look at the other names and emails in the to field. I was curious to see who I would be taking classes with and who I'd be spending the next five to seven years of my life with, who I'd be crying with, really, when things get really hard. Although I couldn't tell from just their names and email addresses alone who these individuals were, I could see that at least three of them had gone to or had worked at prestigious private universities. My eyes lingered on the names of those universities, and that sneaky sliver of doubt began to creep in, setting its cold fingers on my shoulders. See, it whispered in my ear, see how you don't fit in? I took a deep breath, closed the email, and walked away into the living room. Because let's be honest, there's not very many places you can go during a pandemic stay-at-home order. No, I told myself, you're not going to do this. You did this 12 years ago when you started your first PhD program, and you're not doing this again. Earlier that day, In an email exchange with a fellow first-yearer, I had encountered the same doubt when he used a word I didn't know. 
I remember the thoughts rushing through my head. Oh gosh, this is an academic term. I don't know what it means. I need to look it up. I need to read some articles before I start class so that I could sound like I know what I'm talking about. So I could sound like someone who is supposed to be there. And then I thought, it's just a freaking email for goodness sake. Why does he have to use academic terms? Why can't he just use generic everyday language? Goodness gracious. Wow, right? Just when I thought I had worked through all my insecurities, I'm reminded that I have a long way to go. In episode 9, I talked about how imposter syndrome showed up unexpectedly when I got news that I had won a couple of fellowships. And how I don't think it'll ever really go away. It's just the nature of imposter syndrome to hang around and appear when you least expect it. (laughs) I remember my first semester of grad school back in fall 2008, looking around the room at the other students, all of whom seemed more qualified and more articulate than me. We were on the second floor of the old education building at UC Santa Barbara, and the desks in this particular classroom were arranged in a U-shape, so that it looked more like a staff meeting than a class. I'm sure they did it intentionally, but I didn't realize this at the time, because I didn't have the professional experience to put it into context. Imposter syndrome showed up big for me in this class as I listened to my classmates. As I tried to decipher what certain words meant, and what certain acronyms stood for. As I tried to form responses to topics brought up in class, how do I feel about this theory? What do I think about the way this author approached immigration? What does it mean to be critical? And then lastly, how sometimes I couldn't answer these questions. I always felt like I wasn't smart enough, like I couldn't process information fast enough, like I didn't have anything to contribute. And at this time, I really didn't know how to deal with all of these feelings. I was young, I was 22 years old, I was fresh out of college, and To be honest, imposter syndrome really won that battle. And imposter syndrome took the trophy and left me standing in the track watching it celebrate. I've had run-ins with enoughness all my life. Yes, so I totally said that. I said enoughness. It's a noun. (laughs) From not being beautiful enough to not being quote-unquote good enough, whatever that meant. From not being soft-spoken enough to not being outspoken enough. Not being old enough to not being young enough. Tall enough, white enough, long enough, American enough. Being enough seemed like it was a self-defeating way of measuring yourself by someone else's standards a moving target that I could never quite reach. This summer, as part of a workbook club, I read Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, which I will link in the show notes. 
In the book, she takes you through a values exercise, and I narrowed my top two values to humility and excellence. A strange push and pull contradiction. <laughs> Trust me, these two things do not coexist without a lot of work. What I learned from this exercise is that enoughness, for me at least, shows up when I'm comparing myself to others using a scarcity model. If other people are being praised, then I'm not being praised. So it must mean I'm not doing a good job, pretty much. And it must mean there's only a specific amount of praise to go around and I have to get it or it's going to run out. This is an example of not being able to meet my own unachievable standards of excellence. So whenever this happens, whenever enoughness appears, I know it's because I'm being extremely unfair to myself. Luckily, when I began feeling like my future classmates were smarter than me, I recognized it really quickly. I recognized the unfairness of it, and I recognized the comparison. And I think the only reason for this is because I've done quite a bit of honest and challenging reflective work in the last few years. One of the things I learned to do and am continuously practicing is to admit when I have a knowledge gap and to not feel ashamed about it. I think that second part is the most important part. It's normal not to know everything. And yet I've often, and I mean often, experienced a heavy wave of shame when I don't know the answer to something. So to practice verbalizing that I don't know something and then to ask for more information has been a practice in being enough. And I did just that when I responded to my classmate in the email. I simply said, I don't know much about X because I haven't been in school for 10 years. But I'm looking forward to learning more about it. And you know what? That felt great. Another thing I've learned to do is to acknowledge my experience and expertise and to celebrate and appreciate my peers for their experience and expertise. I learned that if I do that, I'm less likely to compare myself in an extremely unfair and unhealthy way to them. I may not have gone to Georgetown or majored in multicultural and gender studies as an undergraduate, but I have a decade of experience working with first-generation and low-income students. And I write well. <laughs> I write really well. Learning how to deal with constantly comparing yourself to others is like removing the dried leaves from around your house during fire season, or wearing a helmet while biking, or exercising weekly, or flossing every night. It's preventative work. And unless you do it consistently, unless you are practicing it, it's easy to forget to do which could lead to an accident happening. In this case, a case of comparison and a case of imposter syndrome. I have to say I'm really proud to pass the first enoughness test of this journey. I'm not looking forward to more, but I know there will be more. It's 
Unfortunately, a natural occurrence, I think, when you put a bunch of curious, passionate, and PhD-minded people together. So comparing yourself to your classmates is going to happen from time to time, if not all the time. That's why it's important to do preventative work, to practice admitting your gaps in knowledge without feeling shame. And maybe to even learn to recognize what shame is and how it shows up in your body. So that when you do feel it, you can acknowledge it, do something about it, and then move on. And it's also important to acknowledge your own experience and expertise in comparison to your peers. And because you do come to the table with your own knowledge, you do come to the table with your own skills, skills that your peers don't have. And that is why you were admitted into this program. So no matter what you are doing in your life right now, whether you are starting a graduate program with me, or whether you are starting college, or whether you are starting a new job, and you are feeling imposter syndrome, or you are comparing yourself with your peers, I really hope that this episode, this story that I shared with you, is helpful to you. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast listening platform of your choice to be notified when new episodes are up. If you would like to support this podcast, a rating and review will go a long way. Podcasts with ratings and reviews are more likely to be found by listeners. So I would very much appreciate it if you can take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast. If you would like to make a donation to help me run this podcast, you can do so at ko-fi.com slash onbecomingeducated. That's ko-fi.com slash onbecomingeducated. Every dollar helps. Follow me on Instagram at bypavu and the podcast at onbecomingeducated. Lastly, to access transcripts and submit listener questions, go to www.onbecomingeducated.com.